Nope. All right. All right. Hang on. All right, Tom Neve up in the house. What is going on, mate? How are you doing? I'm all good, thanks, Chris. How are you? Oh, man. Listen, it's Friday. I'm sitting here having this conversation with you. So, yes, my day is absolutely proper mega, 110%, mate. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. So, what you been doing today? Today has been a typical day, really. I was up this morning, went to the gym, did my... What bike session? I was meant to be outside cycling for three and a half hours today. I had a nice, nice 90 kilometer route planned, and then it's absolutely tipped it down. Typical English weather this time of year. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty miserable. I just want to get, want to be out in Spain testing and riding and all that sort of stuff. But no, we're pretty restricted at the minute. So, yeah, just ticking over. There's not a lot going on on the farm. I'm a farmer by trade. So that's pretty quiet this time of year um so yeah that's that's how it looks but i think we're we're five hours ahead of you aren't we so yeah it's, absolutely uh, it's yeah 3 p.m here now so yeah it's I've, I've got my afternoon planned for talking to you absolutely again it's absolute honor yeah i remember uh when i went to cadwell dave was like dude you need to bring a jacket a pair of shorts a beanie hat uh, you know all these pants and i'm like absolutely there's no way right and then i show up to cadwell park yeah and it's yeah the weather is just uh unpredictable to say the least yeah Yeah, all of our uk UK tracks seems to have a seem to have a bit of a microclimate even in the summer you're expecting nice nice weather and you get to alton park and you're nearly always guaranteed wet on on race day yeah yeah it is is, but it it was uh, absolutely amazing um the, the 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 yeah. atmosphere out there yeah well i mean i look at i've seen i watched quite a bit of the um the ama superbike series and i think your tracks are quite similar in a way to ours compared to like your world superbike gp style tracks which are all the big fast flowing circuits i feel like the national american tracks and our british national tracks are all pretty sketchy and and quite similar in that respect but i guess cadwell to you would be different again with the mountain and the jumping everything would it yeah, absolutely. Our tracks are a lot like your guys is out there, except for Cadwell. You're absolutely right. I remember, man, I, so I showed up on a Thursday and I went out there and they had actually had a track day, Tom. And of course, the first spot anybody ever wants to go is the jump, right? And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, man, you guys, that, it's like this wide, the, the track, right? It's it's super narrow. Um, to me, it was uh, down the front straightaway when it, when it opens up. It, it's more of a normal track right once you come over the mountain yeah. courses it's, it's kind of like the isle of man tt-esque in yeah. a way right because the tire barriers and the and the, how it flows and the two super sharp rights back onto the straightaway yeah it's uh but yeah our tracks are very similar man have you ever thought about coming out here and racing in moto america you know what i'd love to and i've said to many people that it's a bucket list of mine i don't know when i guess nothing happens if you don't make it happen and there's, and, and there's never a right right time to do anything but at some point in my racing career i would love to do around if not a season and just travel america it's like a pipeline dream of mine i think we grew up i've got a twin brother and we both grew up racing flat track which is obviously huge in america so we always looked when we were young lads we always looked up to the american 
the American flat track scene and it was just the coolest thing to us guys. And my, my, my Tim, my brother, he, he actually spent, uh, he came over and did the Kansas series. He had two trips to America, the Kansas flat track series. And I can't remember where else he went. Maybe it would have been Springfield. I'm not too, sh- too sure on my places, but yeah, he's been out to America and I've never really scratched that itch. So it's definitely something on the cards for me one day if I get the get the opportunity to meet someone or come and have a go. If it's, I'd love to. Like I know Daytona is on soon, isn't it? And uh, quite a few UK lads going over there and that's on my radar as well. Um, yeah, so we need to make it happen. If you know any contacts, Chris, send them my way. I, I, absolutely. I know a lot of people in the Moto America paddock for sure. I will absolutely put the word out i'm actually going to atlanta in new jersey i'm working with ryan wolf he races in the twins class and so i'll be racing with him on his team but yeah i know a bunch of people man i will definitely put my fillers out there and see if i can make it happen because it would be an absolute honor to have you race here in america in our series uh i uh um and if you ever come to virginia man you and your brother and your family you got a free place to stay with me at my house you don't ever have to worry about getting a hotel all that so yeah i got you um yeah, I think it would be proper mega Daytona. So Peter Hickman's coming. Um uh Roger. Right? Right. Roger. What's his name? Yeah, yeah. He's coming. Who's Roger? Um, I mean, not Roger. Uh he raced the 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 uh 900 BMW Cup. Oh, uh, you got uh, Richard Cooper. Richard Cooper, that's it. I don't yeah. know why I was thinking I had the R right, right? Anyway, uh yeah, <laughs> he's coming. That. <laughs> right halfway there uh and then so and mickey d's been here right michael dunlop um yeah yeah it's uh daytona's definitely a different track so daytona would kind of be adwell in a sense because it's a one-off race very different yeah. than any other track minus the jump of course but we do have that high speed banking and literally tom when you're standing there it's hard just to walk up it i mean it's really? literally yes Doesn't it's it steep justice. no absolutely well, not it's out of season for us guys as well. We've got nothing kicking off until early April. So it's just like perfect. We all want to, if we're not out in Spain trying to do a European track day or something just to keep going, there's, yeah, there's not a lot happening. So for us, yeah, it'd be great to pop head over and, and have a go at that one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it'd be absolutely magnificent. I think uh, I would love to see some type of way if we could get bsb and moto america to clash together right kind of like back in the day where we take the best of our riders and kind of like the best of your riders yes transatlantic and just yeah have a proper go you guys come over here one time and then we go over there and then yeah vice versa i think it would be i love seeing uh different uh people in our series and us over there and everybody else it's great for the sport in general right yeah absolutely it brings a different type of height say say again sorry I said it brings a different type of hype to the series, right? Excitement. Yeah. I think that's where BSB's done pretty well the last few years. They've always draw some some names in from the Spanish Championship or ex World Superbike rider like we had Chavi, Chavi Fares and riders coming and having a go and Hector Barber and all these guys have come and had a go. And I've seen America, Moto America, doing something similar now. You've, you're trying to get other people from different championships in, and it's just another adds another name and dimension to it all, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. And the atmosphere is a little bit different, right? Because it's new. It's exciting. It's like, it's like getting a new motorcycle for the first time. It's throwing your leg yeah. over something new. You know, it's, it's that anxiety, just the whole buildup. Yeah, absolutely. It's 
great for the sports. So Loris Bass, this is his second time um, yeah. coming here with Warhorse Ducati. So, yeah, it's going to be. Do you watch? Do, do you actually keep up with Moto America? I'll, I'll be lying if I said I sat and watched all the races, but I'll definitely follow the highlights and I follow quite a few of the riders in the championship on, on social media. So I'm always seeing who's done what and, and the content that they put out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it looks really good. We'll yeah, say. absolutely. Well, I can help you out with that. I will, um, I'll send you a link to where you can watch the Moto America races, um, all season long. So you can keep up with it for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Absolutely. So listen, Tom, and I, I know you, you, you have a brother, Tim, that, that races or he used to, didn't he just step away? He's yeah. He's still, he's still on the radar. He's just sort of took a bit of a backseat really. He, he, he didn't want to fully, Stop racing. That is definitely not on his agenda at all. I think at the time he just stepped back from racing in the superbike class and, and stock thousand just because he'd had a run of really bad luck and some serious injuries. And I think he just saw a slightly different side to it all, which respect him for that because there's not many people who can get the dream ride that they've always worked towards and then go, look, this is just not being fun anymore. A lot of people get trapped into the whole the pressure from the sponsors and the team and they're in too deep almost that they can't say no. So yeah, he took a step back and then he's actually gone down different avenues straight away. He started racing flat track again. He came back and did a couple of rounds of stock. Like he's not, he's not stopped racing at all. Um, we still train together, ride together all the time and he's still as fast as ever. I think he just wants to, he's just chasing it in a different way. It's more, I mean, it's always about the fun element, but for him now, it's like he doesn't even want the pressure. I don't think of of committing to a full championship and and this and that. But it's opened doors for him straight away. It's weird how how it works. I mean, he's in my eyes, it was too good to to stop altogether. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Who knows what 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 will come from next? Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh... Yeah, a huge fan. Um, I, I'm trying to think. I got a picture with him too there because he was at Cadwell Park. Um, yeah, that would have been yep. his first race back since. So he, he did the first couple of rounds on the superbike and then quit. And then he had a few months out. And then he actually came back on a sponsor's uh, a, a personal sponsor's bike at Cadwell and and won the Stock Thousand race. So that would have been when you were there, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah, uh, Malcolm Shorter. He he actually has a photographer. He he is a photographer. Um, man, he's got such amazing shots of you guys at Cadwell Park. Yeah, um, I know, know who you mean. Yep. I think he's, he's local to us guys. I think. Yep, he lives in Louth. Absolutely, well, he, he's it, the one yeah. that. Yeah, I, I hung out with him and the whole weekend, and absolutely amazing guy. He says, "Hey guys, how we doing? Looking forward to seeing you on the new bike, Tom. It looks great. I'm thinking you'll do well on it, mate." Yeah, that's, yeah. I've, since I've announced like my plans for this year, I've had some really good support with that. So it's a new challenge, a fresh start for me, and I, I can't wait. Really, it's yeah, revoked a lot of the like them feelings you get when you first start racing again. It's I've yeah, I've been very much like well, I was a privateer and I've had five and a half years at Honda, and I've never really known anything else. So now I'm going down a new avenue altogether, a new manufacturer, and it's. Yeah, it's really exciting times for me, and it it couldn't have come out a better time. To be fair, and I needed it. I'd sort of not done what I set out to do since moving up to Superbike. But again, that's a you're sending me off on a completely different rabbit hole there. 
Yeah, no, it, it is. And I couldn't imagine, you know, me being a super fan of the whole spot. I mean, you look at my room in the background, you see just posters and yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I couldn't imagine the immense pressure that you guys deal with, right? As far as you, you said it earlier with your brother, the commitment for the sponsors and all the pressure that comes on and all the expectations on you got to do right. You feel it like I have to do this. I have to do well, not just for me, but for my team too, as well. And yeah, so I'm sure that pressure is just uh hard to take sometimes and how do you deal with that it's weird i've never really felt it as pressure um i mean you always want you always want everything yesterday don't you like it's never it's never enough and the whole time we started relatively late me and tim did we didn't get on tarmac till we we're 17 18 years old and we was really just winging it with we had some really good key people helping us to start with but it was very much like grassroots level and club racing and just figuring it out as we went. And all of a sudden we're just, we were in stock, stock 600, stock thousand. Then this wild card comes up to race in Superbike, and it's literally gone bang, bang, bang. And I've never really thought about it too much. It was just so like tunnel visioned and driven to get here that I've never really felt it as pressure. Even when I, when I landed the the Honda Superbike ride, which is where I always wanted to be when I set out, when I got the opportunity to ride a Superbike full for the first season, I didn't feel weight on my shoulders. It was not from them anyway. It was more the pressure that I put on myself. So I've never, yeah. I mean, even when the results weren't there, I, I was I'm hard on me. Not it's not coming from anywhere else really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. It's, everyone deals with it differently, don't they? Yeah. Th th listen, I, I'm I'm just like you. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I don't. I don't. The outside pressure. It's never really bothered me a whole lot. Whatever sport you play, soccer. Because I, I grow. I love soccer, right? So, just, it, whatever situation, go on a date with a woman. Whatever it is, right? You the outside pressure. I just for some reason it's never bothered me. But me personally, oh man, I give myself such a hard time all the yeah. time. It's uh, it's something that I've struggled with. Uh, forever right um it's it's how i deal with it i uh i have a pep talk in the mirror before every yeah. podcast yeah because i get man i get all this anxiety it's just the excitement and man i'm sitting here talking to tom neve you kidding me right now like yeah so it's it's uh seriously man it's 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 just everything that whole build up but once i sit down with in front of my guest it's like boom all that goes away i'm fully committed in the game it's 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 weird how it happens yeah, well, that's the thing with with racing, isn't it? The minute you put, you have all the anxiety and the emotions and everything, but the minute the lights go out and your visor's down, it, it's complete. I can't even tell you what is going on in my mind. It's just pure silence and focus, and there's nothing else. You're not worried or thinking about anything, and you're in a totally different state. And I, for me, I've always just ridden off of confidence. If the results are there and the feelings there, I'm I'm good, and that's. Yeah, that's all we're, we're looking towards, really, isn't it? But, the, yeah, the, the feeling from the team or however big or small like that team is, it that doesn't... I don't know, if you let things like that get to you, I think you would probably crack in yeah. the early, early days, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, pressure's... Uh, yeah, everybody deals with, with it different. And it's, it's like... Uh, before all my guests like you, man, that's all I talked about. Man, Tom Neves coming on the podcast. I can't wait. Everybody works like... 
just don't you got something to do Simcoe? Like I'm tired of hearing about, you know, all your guests coming on. I just, dude, I can't help it. Right. It's, 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 it's the journey. It's the build up. It's the lead up. It's yeah. I can't sleep good at night. Like, cause really? I'm just so excited. It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, I know what you're saying. It's, it's like an uncomfortable addiction in it. It's, it's like the, the horrible is feeling when you're nervous, but then when you don't have it, you're always craving that because I don't know. It's just what it's what we're passionate about and love doing, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely. It's it. It's the best sickness to have, right? Yeah. Absolutely, it is. So uh, I want to go back, Tom. How did you get into motorcycles to begin with? Oh God. So yeah, like I say, we started pretty late. Really, we just live in a really rural countryside little village in Lincolnshire. And to be honest with you, there wasn't a lot going on. We had a really sheltered upbringing we live in a small little village where there's probably only 13 or 14 houses everyone knows everyone there's a farm in the center which is the family farm we've we've worked there we've been there for well me and tim my little brother and sister are fifth generation so been been around some years um my mum and dad had no interest in motorbikes um and then one day a chap called pete boast who is is a legend himself in Lincolnshire. He's yep. pretty much done every discipline on a motorbike you can imagine. Um, he moves into the village. We didn't know him at the time, and he brought a shed full of motorbikes with him. So as 13, 14-year-old lads, we was just like, wow, what what's this? Like, don't get me wrong, we'd had we'd mucked around on quads and bikes and stuff growing up, but nothing serious. It was just really basic basic fun really no ambition or understanding of the racing world um and, and pete moves into the village and basically spots me and tim and our enthusiasm and at the time he actually it took quite a bit of a shine to tim and he probably thought he probably put himself a bit more forward than i did i was quite i'd say i was maybe a little bit more reserved than tim to start with um and it took a it took a shine to tim and said look i think you should you should start racing because you look pretty good on a bike um so at the time i was like well, i want to do this as well like we're twins we've always done everything we're so competitive everything's a competition like let me let me get stuck in as well and at that point it was like the reins were pulled my mum and dad said look god racing it's it's too expensive you both can't be racing we can't get two bikes two two of everything it's way way out of their league, it was completely out of their comfort zone. I didn't know anything about racing. So for the first year, I was like forced to go down in a, a different route. They wanted us to have different hobbies and identities, I guess, really. They didn't want us both doing the same thing. They thought that would be the most, the, the best thing for our for, for us growing up. So the they bought Tim a CRF150 motocross bike to, to start racing flat track with Pete. And they bought me a shotgun and said, right, you can go, you can go clay pigeon shooting. <laughs> so it's a bit of a difference there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A couple of times. And it just it just wasn't cutting it. I remember spending the whole summer of what I can't remember what year it had been, probably 2009, when Tim first started flat track at 14 or 15 years old. I was, I was just on the grass bank watching him thinking, and he was winning. He was straight away, he won the junior championship in his first year. And I remember just thinking, I want to, I want to be doing that. Like, I'm just sat here. I'm, a, I'm able. I like motorbikes. I'm into motorbikes. I can ride motorbikes. Why, why aren't I out there? So I guess it just really fueled my hunger for it even more. And the following season, I managed to 
get my granddad to help me buy a. It was just a Chinese pit bike at the time. At the, we thought it was a lot of money, but looking back, it was it is a lot of money. But it was eight hundred quid. But in the grand scheme of motorbike racing, it's a couple of sets of tires, isn't it? Yeah. But we got this. Um, we got this bike, and the following year, I started racing. Had a bit of fun, and then my first full year on the two fifty four stroke, I won the British Junior Flat Track Championship. So. And and Tim had progressed onto the 450 at that point, so he was always a year a year ahead of me, um, because he started a year before me in racing terms, in riding terms. So, yeah, finally we got to race each other in 2000, and it had been 10, it had been 2011, 12, 2012, I think, on the 450, and Tim won the flat track British flat track championship, and I was, I think, I was second or third. And yeah, Tim, Tim was so flat track driven and he, and he was good. And he was, he'd been speaking to Chris Carr, the American flat track legend. And he was, things were set up for him to go and have a season's racing, racing in the States, flat tracking in the national championship, which he'd have been 16 or 17 years old. And the point he was making contacts with the American guys, I had, uh, I had, um, would go and clean Phil Crow's bike. So Crow, he lives just up the road from us. He's a, he does his races at the Isle of Man TT mm-hmm. club champion. He's had many club championships and yeah, it, everyone around here knows him and uh, I'd go and clean his bikes and just get involved with him road racing at the time. And he sort of took me under his wing a little bit. And then one thing led to another and just showing interest and we managed to land the, land a deal on a super twin for the following year with no experience on tarmac never ridden it never had nothing to do with it but he managed to secure this it was a chinese it was an english company importing chinese copies of the kawasaki er6 so we got we got ourselves one of these bikes and phil put it together for me and ran me around the country that year and we raced in the thundersport uh club championship and Oh, there was a lot of crashing. I think I had 17 crashes that year and I was way out of my depth, way out of my comfort zone. We was, we was winning UK flat track championship races, which is very low key racing really. Um, there's some good level riders in there, but it's a small series. It's not, it doesn't really open your eyes to the, to the skilled level of motor, motorcycle racing and, and just how far you can go. Hence why Tim was looking to go onto America to excel, well, to push his, push his uh, flat tracking forward, really. Like you sort of reach the top of British flat track before very quickly and there's nowhere else to go. So, um, yeah, the club racing scene, my, my first year road racing was a baptism of fire. But come the last round at Donington Park, I managed to get start winning. It took me all year, but I started winning by the end of the year. And, and that was the start of my journey. And yeah, basically I've sort of gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but Tim ended up not going to America the year I started road racing. So everything was in place for him, but I think just based on his age and not having anyone to go with him and it was so new to, to commit to a race as a championship and try and make a career at that age with no real guidance or yeah anyone to go with him it's just it, it yeah it it wouldn't have worked i don't think yeah. looking back with how naive and, and green we were to the sport yeah but yeah 
here we are now. One thing led to another. He basically he saw what I was doing and and had a summer of just mucking around and just being a typical teenager and saw that I was actually throwing myself into this new world of road racing. And I think he thought, oh, I'm missing out here now. I was starting to get FOMO. So the following year, he got my wrote my this uh, this mini twin. Seventeen crashes later, and it had bent frame, and we got the gas bottles on it, and we bent everything back up, and that was his race bike for the following year on my hand-me-down. So, so yeah, he started racing flat track a year before I did, but then I started race road racing a year before he did. So at this point, we're probably leveled up. Um, yeah, and and here we are now. That's an amazing story, right? Because it's rare to have twins racing in general in the, in the same category, like Alex and Sam Lowe's, you and, 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 and Tim, right? Uh, it's uh, I love it. I love to see it. And you guys, uh, I know you guys are super competitive against each other, correct? Oh, so competitive. Oh, yeah, right, right. So when you're it sitting there watching them on the – go, go, go ahead. easier. Right. Yeah, I know. Especially the older you get. Right. And then you, you're like watching them on the side flat track and you're like, man, I could I, I could do this because I'm that's, faster than he is. Yes, that's exactly how it was. Yeah. And I think he thought he had a bit of relief because it's like we've had to share everything growing up and do everything together. We've had obviously school together, same lessons together, same friendship circle together. We and then all of a sudden he gets to go racing on his own and he probably felt like he wanted that release from me in a sense. I think that's how, it, how very much how it was for us both at that age. We've always been really close, but in the early days, it was like there was always a point to prove to each other. And it was very much like that. We've matured and grown up a lot since then. And it's we've got a really healthy relationship now. But back then it was... I want to go do this. I don't want you doing it with me. I'm I'm doing this. And it, it was quite like that. So again, that's probably why my parents wanted to maybe to split us up somehow, but yeah, it, it didn't last long with it. And it just fueled me even more. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine. I got a brother, but he's eight years younger than me. So I was, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get it. But I, but he was never into sports like I was right. He, he's, he was in the space and air engineering and all that stuff. So, but yeah, 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 I could, man, I could only imagine. And then listen, the 2021 season when you, when you were the champion in the Pirelli national Superstock, talk, talk to me about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we worked, we worked through the 600 ranks and into stock thousand. And basically I, in my, um, latter stock 600 days, I always had a, uh, my shoulder kept dislocating cause I'd had one too many crashes and, I basically at the end of the 2017 season in stock 600, I knew that the following year I was, I was going to move up, going to have to move up to stock thousand because of the age limit and everything that we have over, over here. Um, and, but I needed to get my shoulder sorted, but I thought it would go away. I thought it would go away. And, um, basically it, it didn't. And it came back to haunt me in March of 2018, the year I was stepping up to stock thousand. And, I was mucking around on, a, on the farm quad in the snow and I hit a grass bank and it spat me off, dislocated my shoulder really badly this time and I had to have surgery. So I missed the first part of the of the Stock 1000 Championship in 2018. And then my we had, my first round was Snetterton and then we went to Knockhill in Scotland and I got on a podium in my second ever Stock 1000 meeting. 
And it was the first time, I think, I mean, I'd had wins in, and podiums in stock 600, but to come into stock 1,000 against some good teams in stock 1,000 that were that had like the superbike team supporting the running the stock thousand as well like so they had good good guys good good riders and, and technicians in that championship it was it was the first time i sort of put myself on the on the radar of these bigger teams and then we went to brands hatch and again i had led the race for don't know how many laps and crashed out again but just starting to show a little bit of promise and it was at that point i um i got the attention of of honda and I mean, everything happens for a reason. It's all about this window of opportunity in racing, isn't it? But at the time, their superbike rider, Dan Linfoot, had just broken his back or neck, or he was out for a few rounds. So the, the put, Honda put me on their superbike as a, as a wild card at Thruxton and, and Cadwell. So I'd literally done three rounds on a stock thousand. Prior to that, I'd only ridden a 600. And now I'm riding for Honda Racing on a on a superbike and I was so not ready. I mean, I hadn't, I didn't even know what gym training was back then. I was just a skinny little lad, no muscle on me, no meat on me. Um, and I was way out of my depth. Like I, I wasn't ready for it looking back, but yeah. So I crashed my brains out of Thruxton and then we went to Cadwell and I got two point scoring finishes 12th and 15th. So yeah. It sort of it, it put me in the shop window for the next year, but so Honda didn't know I was sorry. Honda um, knew I wasn't ready for a superbike, so they gave me the opportunity to ride superstock. So the following year, two thousand and nineteen, I got to ride got to ride for Honda full time in the stock championship, but it was on the old Fireblade. So you had like the new Suzukis and Kawasaki's. Everyone was coming through, and the Honda at that point was an old bike. Yeah, like it was it was slow. Uh, I mean, they built it to the best they could, and it had some nice bits on it. But it just it wasn't up again. It wasn't up to it against the the newer sports bikes. So it was a difficult year. I had a podium at Cadwell. Um, other than that, it was yeah, six foot six and sevenths and and results like that. And the following year, we got the the new Fireblade for twenty twenty, and then we got we got struck by COVID. Yeah. So. Half a championship, only six rounds. I finished runner-up in the championship um, in 2020. And then the following year, we managed to finally get the deal done in 2021. So it felt like a long time coming. But then when I look back how the four years prior to that had been, it was like really, really turbulent. So to finally put put it together in a full year with arguably the strongest lineup Stock Thousands has had, it was, yeah... It was a good feeling. <laughs> I, I can only imagine proper too, right? And it, going from a 600 immediately on a super bike is like, that's a huge jump, right? With all the electronics, it's like you. Well, you no always, electronics. No, oh, that's, just, yeah. Okay. In, in, in super bike, there's, there's no electronics. So, I mean, in stock thousand, you're allowed to use traction control, all the aids that the bike will come with as standard. Whereas in super bike, you have to run Motec. We're not allowed traction control, no anti wheelie just more it's more down to the rider to make the difference and how balanced you are with the throttle and the brakes and everything so yeah it was i didn't crash through high sides that weekend i crashed through tucking the front and clipping curbs and stupid little mistakes but it was an absolute eye-opener jumping on like a on a 230 horsepower fire blade was just like was my and slick tires i'd never ridden on slick tires in my life 
So that again was I wasn't used to the feel of them or lack of feel, I'd say actually, and this and the stiff swing arms and everything else that these bikes have. So yeah, it was yeah, it was it was an eye-opener. Yeah, I, I guarantee it. And that's why I tell everybody I catch shit over here in America because I, I say it all the time. BSB is by far my favorite race series in I've, the world. I was watching a video of um it, it's Cam Peterson, isn't it? On the is he on the attack Yamaha? Yep. Yeah, and he was coming out of this corner. I don't know which track it was, and uh, he only posted it on Instagram the other day. And the noise that this bike makes through traction control, it sounds unbelievable. But they've it's like full traction, just bang, and you can just hear the bike sorting itself out. I'm not yeah. taking anything away away from him. I thought the video was cool as hell, but yeah, we don't have the uh, joy of traction, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, but that's I, I'm old school, right? Because I grew up in watching Doug Chandler and Wayne Rainey and all these yeah, guys, yeah. you know, Valentino. Five so that's yeah, dude. That to me is the proper race. You know, it's it's uh, no tracks control. It all comes down to the rider, right? And and the cream of the crop rises to the top. And you know, I'm I'm kind of on the fence with all this electronics. I understand we need them to a point, but I feel like in a way it kind of hinders uh, natural progression. Um, yeah. because 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 now you're you're used to your engineer saying hey don't worry about it keep it pinned in fourth gear the tracks control take care of it and you're thinking yeah, so yeah. shit you kidding me right now how am i like I mean, it, yeah in terms of like the lap time it definitely is an advantage you look at like the bsb lap times around donington park compared to the world superbike lap times around donington park and there's about a second difference just over maybe and that's all made up pretty much in the last sector where you're firing into a hairpin, you come out in first gear and just go whack straight on the gas. And that's where they make, make their time. So there's definitely an advantage in that aspect. And, I, and it is possibly safer as well, having the, the aid of traction. But in terms of like the cost to have a data guy and electronics engineer there who can under, who understands it to that level, like I think that's when you'd find a massive difference in the teams whereas in bsb it's so even because there's no electronics it's i mean you can do certain things to help soften the power with the the cylinder cut and, and things like this but yeah. it's a totally different world so i yeah i think the rawness of of bsb and the no electronics rule is quite good i think people want to see that and everyone would wouldn't you just love to see like MotoGP? with no electronics or world suit bikes and to see really where, how it affects certain riders. I'm sure it would definitely, some, some riders would struggle. I think. Oh, 110% agree with you. Right. It's like, uh, I remember Tito Rabat came to BSB, right. And only made it like one or two rounds. I was like, fuck this. I'm out. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, the yeah. Of time we've seen that with, uh, even like Tom Sykes, like the, yep. He's been in world championship for years, won world championship, however many pole pole record in in worlds, like an absolute class rider. But it comes to BSB and he really, really struggles and then goes back to worlds and does a good job again. And you think, well, how does that work out? But it, I think it just shows uh, the level and the uniqueness of, of BSB and our tracks and the rules. It's certainly, it's quite, it's a very niche it's it's a niche sport of its own almost it is it's it's again my favorite race series in the whole world minus the tt the tt is my number one race every year i remember the first time i seen it tom i was absolutely like god smacked like they 
really do this like this is real right yeah uh and ever since man i knew david jeffries was one of my favorites growing up um of course you know joey dunlop and and robert and all that too but david jeffries was uh he was just different right because he was just big heavy set guy that just ate whatever yeah. he want jumped on a bike and was just amazingly fast yeah um, it's mad I've, I've been lucky enough to go the last couple of years and uh with with john mcginnis obviously he's he's been in the honda team so yeah i'd always go and support them boys at the time and, and uh try fill my boots and get out and about and look all over and and it is an absolute eye opener. The first time I went, I got taken to um, oh, I forget the name of the dip now. It's it'll come to me in a minute. But basically, it's a like four fifth gear uh, approach down into his dip. The belly pan, Bagara bottom. It's called Bagara yep. bottom. That's it. And uh, the belly pans bottom out. You see sparks off like the exhaust and everything. And I got I managed to get in a photographer only zone. And so the bikes are coming at you and I'm hid behind this tree and I just think I can hear this bike coming for, from miles away, like building the like suspense. And it was just the Marshall bike checking the roads clear before the race goes out. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, it, even that bike like blew my mind. And then, and then the 600s come through in a line and I was just like, this is just mental. Like how, how is this happening? And I'd absolutely love to do it if I knew you're not going to flip in, get bent in half and cut up if you crash, which I think everyone in the world would go do the TT if they knew they would be safe. But I guess that's what makes it so unique and special. But yeah, it's mind blowing. It's on my bucket list. Cadwell's on my bucket list. So check that. But I'm coming back in 2025 to Cadwell. Um, Have you ridden it or just spectated? No, I just came and spectated. Um, but I do have the opportunity next time I do come, I'm absolutely going to ride it. Yeah. You got absolutely. to get Yeah. Bring your helmet yep. and levels with you. Yep. I will. I'm, I'm, I'll do my best Josh Brooks impression. I can, right? One handed, one handed jumps over the mountain. That's what we expect. Hand off. Yeah. I actually got a poster of uh, Johnny Ray on the uh, yeah. bull right, right there uh, doing Famous. the uh, tail whip. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, man, good stuff. And then, so uh, racing at the Super Prestigio, yeah. bro. How was that, man? Yeah, so that was a like I say, flat track's always been a big part of mine and Tim's identity, and we started doing that for three or four years, and then we went road racing. But we've always, always tried to keep our hand in with the flat track scene, how and when we can. And um, yeah, in a transition year from flat track to road racing, we was doing both. So we uh, we managed to earn ourselves a spot in the, it was an invite only race to the yeah. Mark Marquez's Super Studio over in Barcelona. Um, I actually did it three times, which is which was absolutely brilliant because it, it's it's stopped now, which is such a shame. And I think it was only maybe four or five years where that event ran. So uh, yeah, to do three of them was pretty cool. But yeah, we first went there um, again. I can't remember the year now, but me and Tim went. We went over there. We didn't. Tim Tim earned his place through the winning the British Championship, and then there was a qualifier event over in Spain, which I got on a podium, which got me entry. So uh, yeah, we got there. At this point, we were real, just naive farm boys turned turning racers, and we rock up to Spain and we we're out on track with Tony Elias, Marquez brothers, Alex Rins, Vinales, you name it. Um, 
oh, everyone was there from the GP and World Paddock. Not even just that, it was like world champions from all different disciplines, Supermoto, World in the Enduro Championship, all sorts going on. And um, they flew in Brad Baker and Jared Mees as well, the best flat trackers in America, which is arguably the world. And uh, we'll go out and qualify, and, and it's Brad Baker... In, in qualifying results, I'll never let this one go. It's Brad Baker, Tim Neve, Mark Marquez, Jared Mees, Tom Neve, and then we was half a second clear of the rest of the paddock, which in around a 13 and a half, 14 second lap, it's like a good a good margin. Um, so we're absolutely buzzing about this. And then um, and they dug the track up and it was like, there was loads of cushion. You could ride any line, you could ride hard. And it was just absolutely like thriving off it. And then they get to the race and the tyre packet put this salt down, which draws all the moisture out. It's a totally different surface. They put in motocross start gates, which I've never done a motocross start gate in my life at this point. And mine and Tim's head just absolutely falls off. But we're, we're 16, year, 16 to 17 year old lads at this point. No experience in the bigger picture of racing. And uh, we just don't know how to deal with like the pressure and the, the environment and, we're so fast yet, yeah. Just can't sort of bring it, bring it back in and think about it. So it, it turned into a bit of a disaster, and it was much the same, really. The the second and third time we went, like we were so fast, raw, like the raw speed was there, but the racecraft just wasn't there compared to like compared to these guys who are professional MotoGP riders who are at the top of their game. So, um, but yeah, what an experience. So, so cool. Yeah. Listen, I couldn't imagine. I I seen, I was watching some videos and I was like, man, what was it like? You know, you're there. Like, like you said, oh my God, Mark Marquez and Alex Marquez and Brad Baker. I actually got a Brad Baker and Sammy Holbert uh, sign posters on my wall. I'm a huge fan too as well. But I couldn't imagine the feeling like you're sitting there and you're like, but then you're keeping up with them and, and you're thinking yourself confidence boost big time, right? Yeah. Mentally yeah. and everything. There's a picture of it was Tim Tim was on track at the time tearing it up and there's a picture of Marquez looking out like watching him and someone's got this picture and it's like so so cool he'll have been thinking like who the hell are these like redneck farm boys, <laughs> where like where have they come from? No one knows them. <laughs> uh, you've got like the list of all the other guys there, and then just Tim and Tom Neve, which yeah, at the time, no one had a clue who we was. We was yeah. just fresh out of the farm, which makes the story even better. Absolutely, it really does. Right there, yeah, absolutely. Cameron Fraser, do you know Cameron Fraser, GP two yeah. champ? Yeah, I don't know him personally, but I know I know who he is. Yeah, he's he's he says big up. Yeah, he's a he's a good mate of mine. He actually sent me one of his uh, t shirts. I had him on. He's absolutely an amazing guy. Um, yeah. Listen, I also want to talk about uh, riding at the VR four six ranch, yeah. bro. Listen, real quick. My son's name is Hayden Rossi after Nikki Hayden and Valentino Rossi. So, oh, wow, yeah. if that don't tell you what well, the fan I am of both of those guys. So. I've had the fortunate, well, I've met Rossi many times, got pictures, sign helmets, boots, you know, all, all, all that stuff that goes along with it. But I always wanted to go to the ranch. I couldn't. So I, I, I can't wait to hear. Tell me about the oh, ranch, Tom. I think the only way is down after this. Like, right. 
Nothing. I've peaked. I've peaked way too early. But no, that was it. Was hands down a coolest experience. I thought. I mean, as if like riding the Super Studio wasn't enough to be able to say I've raced that back in the day with with Marquez and them guys, and then now to the other side of the MotoGP. Like you got two, you got two fan side there, haven't you? You got your Marquez fans and your Rossi fans. But to have gone and done uh, Rossi's as well now is like the hugest box tick I'd said for years. Because I mean, it, the ranch race has been going on. We, the race we did the other week was the. 11th edition so it's been going on for some time now and as longer than my flat track than my racing career that is so i'd always said like i don't know how or when but one day i will race at the at the ranch and it's it's took a long while for it to come a reality but we finally made it happen and again it would not have happened without john mcginnis so um yeah got to know him quite well the last few years being in the team and spent a bit of time with him at the races and get on really well and he'd, he'd said to me like him and Rossi are on texting terms so uh and and he'd often said to John like come down and race at the ranch and John's just said like I'll, I'll know I won't be good enough I don't want to do it I don't want to make an idiot of myself I was like well if you don't want to do it I want to do it Let, let's make it happen and he said yeah 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 we'll we'll do it then so a couple of years I've been nagging him go on text him text him make it happen and he finally got it done and uh We'd been talking about it at the end of the season last year, and hadn't really heard anything back. And I knew it would—I knew it was coming up because it's always around the December, January time. And I hadn't heard anything. And I was in—I was at home in the kitchen one day, and I just get this message on WhatsApp from from McGuinness, and all it is is a voice note. So I open this voice note like clueless, and it's basically Rossi Valentino Rossi talking down down a phone to John saying, ah, Tim and Tom Neve, I, I know these riders. Yep, they can come and race in the, come and race at the ranch. They can be the English team. And I was like, what, Rossi knows who, are, who me and Tim are? <laughs> Knew who we were and what, what we was racing in. And uh, and that was it. So we we got a, um, yeah, got the bikes dialed it. Well, I say dialed in. I'd, it's a, we both uh, had, we both got 450 motocross bikes and Tim had been doing a bit of the, uh, the World Flat Track Championship this year, which again, it's in its infancy. It's it's coming. It it, it done a few rounds of that this year and and got, had got a bike built. And I mean, I hadn't even converted my bike, this new 450 that I had into flat track before, banged my suspension and my old wheels in it and was like, right, let's go. We're, we're going to be, we'll bring our A game and we'll, we'll be all right. Because again, when we used to go to, uh, to the Super Studio in Europe or anything flat track related, they always seemed to be, a little bit behind the the scene because it was quite fresh and new to them guys um and that was 10 years ago and we still thought we'd be would do the same well in the last 10 years these riders have come on an unbelievable amount so it was it was tough it was bloody tough and i've never ridden a track like it but it was unbe unbelievable like there's I couldn't understand why that place produces world champions because it's hands down the hardest circuit. When I rolled out and did my first lap, I thought, like, shit, this is, this is hard. And it's almost not fun because it's so difficult to ride, but then that's what makes it so good because it's the tiniest, the tiniest differences that will make you that half a second or a tenth faster, which is, a huge amount around there because it's so hard to find a couple of tents 
But then by them guys rock up, they've got like slipper clutches, quick shifters, special links to make the suspension work in a different way to try and find a grip, like the lock stops cut. They've got offset clamps, just little things. And me and Tim are there on bog standard motocross bikes with my flat track suspension, which is out of an 08 CRF 450 chucked in and just completely stock bikes. And um, yeah, I don't want to make excuses or anything, but we, we weren't prepared. I hadn't ridden flat track for half a year. And before that, it had been two years. And it was just like, we just do very, very little now. We're not blessed with good weather and tracks to go practicing. Whereas these GP boys are like, that's all they do now in between the GP rounds is just flat track, flat track, flat track. It's, it's a relatively safe way of like really sharpening your skills on the bike, which is why, again, Rossi built the place. But yeah, it was incredible we qualified uh we qualified 13th right behind um it was pedro acosta and remy gardner so straight up to two moto two world champions right on their a game they're 12th and we're 13th we're in front of michael rubin rinaldi uh, danilo petrucci all these other list of a-lister gp boys and world superbike boys so we didn't do bad, um, and we finished up 13th as well. Again, right behind Pedro. At one point, Tim had uh, Tim got us into 12th place. So, but how the how it worked would be, you set off, and every five laps of the hundred kilometer race, you have to swap. You, you have to come in. If you don't, you get a time penalty and and whatnot. So, uh, and you keep going until the hundred kilometers is up, which is an hour and 45 minutes of racing. So. Tim had Tim went out for his past Remy Gardner, got us into 12th, comes in. I go out. We're still in, I'm in front of Pedro Acosta because he was, he would always be in my session and it's just the way it, how, how it fell. Um, and how the ranch works, you've got like the big, you've got a big part of the track, which is comes off the oval part of the track. So you go out around the outback and then you come back in and you, you join the oval, do the in-lap and like a, paperclip type shape and then you exit the oval back onto the long lap so you can actually drop into the oval and do as many laps as you want like you can get quite easily confused so i come in and i'm chasing halfway through the race everyone's spread out and i'm chasing petrucci and i'm like ah, i'm gonna get you in this corner and i actually end up doing the oval twice like completely lost my head through just fixated on the back of his back of it on his back wheel so I have to cut across the track over the grass, lose lose twelfth place, and uh, back to thirteenth. We, we managed to hold on to it, and that was it. So yeah, we had Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was it was like a full race weekend. Builds up, it builds up to this final race, and then on the Saturday night, Rossi hires out a big exclusive private venue, five course meal, as much booze as you want. All the academy boys are there drinking, and everyone dancing on dancing. And it was just like wow, what, what? How's how have we ended up do? How have we ended up here? Like what a yeah, it just a peak. We peaked, <laughs> and right. there was so everyone was so friendly and helpful because normally on a GP weekend you've got hundreds of media and everyone matters. The minute they walk out of the garage, everyone's like like a vultures on them, aren't they? Yeah. But here you've got no one there. It's just like Rossi, his selected group of. 41 riders that have been invited 
and his mates. And it's like, the, and it's just the most, I, I, we get there and Peko's there and he looks over and comes straight over, like, ciao, how are you doing? I'm straight away. Rossi's there, talks us through a lap, just so down to earth, like proper pinch me moment. It's like, feel like I'm a little kid again. I seen the video and I was out. I, I couldn't imagine. Absolutely could not imagine being at the ranch, you know, and hanging out and seeing everybody like, is this real? Like, am I dead right now? Is this, is this, am I, you know, uh, I, I couldn't imagine knowing then the food and the booze, you know, and being around those guys outside of this stressful MotoGP paddock, they're, they're probably completely yeah. different people, right? Yeah. Laid back, joking, telling stories, cussing, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, it has to be like that, doesn't it? Like I think yeah. that's why he's gone for so long. Like every time you see him, he's smiling. I mean, there's no wonder he's smiling with the side of his his wallet. But yeah, like you don't keep you don't keep going that long and be so and have that much passion without you absolutely just love it and can have the crack and just like if, yeah, there's no wonder he became like the the biggest star and fan favorite. It's like what a guy. Absolutely. It, it, the whole time you was telling that story and I asked you that question, you had the biggest smile on your face. Yeah. Absolutely, Tom. You had the biggest smile. I felt the emotion and in, in the in the serenity. It's uh I couldn't couldn't imagine. I just hope, I just, I just hope we can go back. Like we, we, we it was it was pretty pissed, Rossi. It was up DJing on the decks all night and he came over to our table and uh I, I slipped it in there about next year and and he said we can go back. So, I mean, whether he'll actually remember saying that to us, it's another thing. Like, it's not like I'm going to be able to pick my phone up to him and, and just text him saying we're still on, we're still good for that next year. But if I can uh, get get his um, like PA team or whatever he's got to put put us down again, like I know we'll go back a lot more prepared. And t I think t Tim's planning on racing the the flat track championship again, so he'll be sharpened up. We're gonna we'll get some bikes built good and. I just hope we can go back, but we'll see. I know every man and his dog is chomping at the bit. Like when they when they put the announcement of the list up, you got everyone on there, and you've got World Superbike riders and other GP lads commenting saying, "Where's my invite?" And then it's just Tim Neve, Tom Neve. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm going to try get John to work some McGuinness um, to work some magic again if he can. I'm sure he will. I'm sure it won't be an issue. I, I don't think valentino would forget you know he's he's uh he, he's hey, well, the annoying thing is we got there and uh it he was showing us on this big big like poster the full track map like where he's what his gear pattern is and how he just little things just talking us through it all and uh we're there with john as well at the time he flew in to watch us he did and uh ross was like oh let's get a picture let's i was like yes right i need this group picture i want i've never had a picture of rossi before so like absolutely buzzing, we've got this picture with with Rossi, and then we go away and we think, shit, like it was taken on Rossi's phone. So <laughs> Rossi, Rossi's got the picture, so we had to get we got we managed to get a, a load more throughout the weekend. But so, but yeah, Rossi, whenever his next time he's on his uh, camera roll and he's scrolling through, he'll just have a picture of me and Tim stood there with him. <laughs> He'd be like, he'll not, he'll not forget us. No, absolutely he won't, man. That's I couldn't imagine. That's uh what a brilliant story. What a brilliant time, right? And yeah, it's the atmosphere, the people, the food. I'm sure the food was good too. 
Yeah, it was good. Yeah, like they have uh, at the ranch, they had they uh, got their own chef upstairs and just different over there, isn't it? Like the wine and the pasta and all the typical Italian stuff is, it, yeah, it's not quite the same here in England. No, absolutely not. But my favorite food when I come to England went man was proper fish and chips. Uh, I was gonna Malcolm, say, I hope you had fish and chips or roast beef. Yeah, no, I didn't have roast beef, man. I had fish and chips. Malcolm actually took me down. There's a fish and chips place in Louth. Uh, if Malcolm, if you're still listening, uh, put the guy's business up, man, it was absolutely amazing. I remember we were sitting in a restaurant or, or, the, or the pub or uh, fish and chip place, and uh, was I was it, like, was Yeah, it, was it Mr. Chip? <sighs> Maybe. I don't know if that's still even open. I know that's quite like a popular one. In if Louth. it's in Louth, it very well, it very no, well there'll be, be. Every, there's about there'll probably be ten fish and chip shops in Louth. Oh, to be fair. oh no, no. I think I think this he he knows the owner of it. Uh, All right, but um, I, I was in there, Tom, and I was like, yeah, I, I want fish and chips with some curry sauce and some. Instead of mushy peas, I said squishy peas, and everybody was laughing at me. Right? They're like, "It's called mushy peas." I was like, "Hey, I'm American, you know. I'm doing my best right here." It was uh, <laughs> absolutely amazing time, and I, I honestly, I thought that uh, I would feel like get homesickness or feel out of place because first time going overseas all by myself. I knew Daniel Parker; he's a rider mindset coach. He's a good mate of mine. He actually works with Finn Whedon. Um, yeah, but uh, him and uh, yeah. Never felt out of place. Never missed. Of course, I miss my wife and my son, right? But it wasn't like, oh, man, I got to go home. I feel homesick. It was nothing but love. It was crazy because every time I talked to him, everybody was like, where are you from? I was like, I'm from Roto, Virginia. BSB, baby. Let's go. And everybody was like, whoa, dude, your energy yeah, was crazy. In Laos, everyone would be thinking, who the heck's this chap? It's like it's the back end of nowhere. nowhere. It's quite an old school, oldie world type little town really in it sleepy little town in the yeah. Lincolnshire walls but yeah nice nice place absolutely amazing beautiful and I went down to uh because I got there Tom right and I was like okay I because I, I looked up HRC's right down the street I want to go take a picture of all the the TT bikes and all this so I call them up it's like yeah man my name's Simcoe I'm from America I just got here I want to come they're like absolutely not we don't have visitors unless you got business and I was like okay cool fair enough so I look up Peter Hickman and call down there and i was like yeah my name's sim come from america i want to come down there and get a hat and a t-shirt and all this and see the place they're like yeah come on so i pull up in a cabbie and the guy i forget his name i wish i could remember his name he comes running out and he's like oh you must be the american i was like let's go yes yeah, nice to meet you. you know all this and he was like dude your energy is just just crazy he didn't tell me peter hickman was standing inside tom so i come inside and i cut the corner and there's peter hickman and i was just like mind blown right like are you kidding me right now yeah this is absolutely and then from then on man i had the best going to cadwell was my favorite race weekend i've been to many moto gp races moto america races and by far bsb was my absolute favorite time i had the best time dude i met everybody uh Talk to every shaky burn, Jane Whitman, all these legends that I've always been big fans of, you know, and finally get to meet them. And they actually had genuine conversations with you. That's one thing that I really yeah. enjoyed. Um, yeah, it was hands down. And then uh, Christy, big shout out to her from KS3 Kawasaki, Dave Neal. Uh, they got me to do the grid walk during the Superbike uh, yeah. race. You got the, you got the full treatment then. 
I got the full treatment, man. It was, uh, and it's, uh, I really wanted to meet Davey Todd too. Right. And at the time he was just with Milwaukee and he wasn't there. So real quick, funny story. Uh, me and Daniel Parker are standing there waiting to, to get on the grid. And all of a sudden he whispers in my ear. He says, Davey Todd standing right behind you. And I look at him, I said, and shut the fuck up, right? Excuse me for, for my language. And I turn around and there's Davy Todd. And I was like, bro, dude, what? And he was like, holy shit, dude. Like, you're, yeah, it was uh, absolutely amazing. It was, uh, I can't wait to come back. I, I absolutely are you planning, are you coming back this year, are you? No, 2025, I'm coming back. Um, cool. So, yeah, I will definitely be there. Will it be Cadwell again or will you look, go to another track? Uh, it's once you've been to Cadwell, it's hard to. It's it's, yeah, it's like it, what you said, all, going to the ranch. In all honesty, I don't. For me, if anyone asks me which is the best track, I'm gonna. I'm, I say Cadwell. It's not just because it's my, my local, but it's the biggest spectacle. It's in the valley. Every, the banks full of people. Um, and it's just a cool place. You can get close to the track, but you don't have all the big barriers like you get at Donington and Silverstone, and so much better atmosphere. But Alton is a good one. It, it's like a. It's it's Cadwell Park esque, but it's on steroids. It's even bigger undulations. You don't take off, but it is there's some serious like elevation changes, and it's like it's a roller coaster track. Everyone says, yeah, uh, well, and that's another good spectator track. All right, so I do want to do. I'm definitely. It's got to be Cadwell, right? Uh, so I'm going to there. It's either I'm going to do the race before Cadwell and Cadwell, or Cadwell and the race after Cadwell. I got you. I can't. I don't know what the calendar looks like. Actually, I think it is probably. Maybe Snetterton and Thruxton or Knockhill, is think, it? Yeah, yeah. I think it might be Thruxton, to be honest with you. Or, That's or wild. Yeah. Thruxton is wild. It's yeah. a fast track, really. But you can't get around. You can only see maybe half the track, the back part of the track, because it's a, an airfield and there's, there's stuff going on. I don't actually have spectating around the back part of the track, which is the fastest part of the track, which, to be honest with you, you, you maybe wouldn't want to be spectating around the back of there because if the bike lets go... You're yeah, you're in. You're gonna be in a in a wrong spot. Yeah, in a world of shit, kind of like a TT, right? Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But so uh, speaking of that, do do you have any rituals you do uh to get prepared for a race? No, not really. I, I went through a phase when growing up where I'd be superstitious, like you know, salute the magpie. I don't know if you have that in in America and stuff like that, and yeah. Or touch wood, like you always say, yeah, touch wood. But yeah. I've sort of gone away from that. I thought, like, if it's gonna, if something's bad's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And if you go down that route and you forget to salute the magpie, you don't touch wood. Like then, then it's just on your mind, playing on your mind. So I just sort of, yeah, I try to keep it pretty simple if I can. I'll, I'll always get on the motorbike from the left. I don't know why. It's just feels more natural for me to swing my bike my leg over on the bike from that side but now other than that i'm pretty pretty plain really yeah that's uh that i ask all the, the races because some of them are very superstitious some of them are not right uh yeah one, one thing that uh nolan lampkin he's out here in moto america he, he's the champion um yeah in, in the super stock but he um his ritual is he wears his socks inside out and I'm like, why? That's why you wear your socks inside out, right? Well, listen, that's what I said, Tom. Because uh, you, you you know where the the seam in the front of your socks, you put them on, and sometimes you got to move your toes around or pull it out or whatever. Yeah, well, if yeah. you wear them inside out, you don't have that seam, so you never feel it. And I was like, yeah. huh. So now I'm a habitual 
inside sock wear. So that's all I wear my socks now is inside out. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you hear John McGinnis has got his little lucky penny. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, absolutely. And then, of course, whatever, 20 whatever works for you. There's no, no judgment. No, I, I, absolutely not. But I, I could see where exactly what you just said. If you had those, it puts a little something extra in your mind. If I didn't. I didn't do that, and that's why this happened, right? Which is not the case, but yeah, yeah, exactly. absolutely. And then the 2024 GR Motorsports, absolutely. Wow. Congratulations! I know you, you was through the moon with that. You was like, "Yes, let's go on a Kawasaki." Yeah, I, for me, I just when uh, when Brent Brent the uh, team owner rang me at uh, back end of last year, and we went down to I met him at. At Brands Act at the last round of the championship, and we shook hands and did a deal there and then, and we couldn't announce it until only a month and a half ago or so. So I've been waiting to get the news out for ages. But the, when I met him and he, he discussed what what he's going to do for for this year and the bikes we've got and and how we're putting a team together and new crew and this and that, I just thought it just sounds perfect. It's a fresh start. I feel really not that I needed motivation before, but it's a different type of motivation it feels fresh it feels new the bike's good it's a proven it's a proven package and everyone sort of goes ah kawasaki getting a bit of an old bike now but then you look at the philip island results in world superbike from the weekend and the kawasaki was like alex lowe's was unbelievable untouchable one day so yeah there's definitely life in in the old girls still and and again at bsb it's just it's a different it's a different thing. The tracks are different. No electronics. Oh, the tire rule got to run a harder tire this year. It all plays into Kawasaki's hands. If we was on big, fast-flowing, wide tracks, you're going to want bike with the most horsepower. Then it maybe may not be the favourite, but it works. So Kawasaki gets wins every single year in BSB. It's the the team have been with Kawasaki for years. They, they know what works. Storm, my teammate, he had a really good good year coming coming on last year so yeah there's a good feeling they're a very very passionate team which for me is everything i want they they're a team that don't they don't do it because they're a manufacturer and they need to they need to run the team because they need to show showcases that that team can be where go where they want do what they want but they they go racing because they absolutely love it and yeah it's it it feels good it looks good so yeah, again, I'm waiting to ride a superbike. I've not ridden it yet because of the testing ban we have in place at the minute. But I've ridden the stocker a few times, which I was really I, I, that's the first time I've ever ridden a ZX10. We went to Portugal in December, and I, I loved it. So and the superbike will be different again, I know, but we'll see. I'm yeah, just keeping fit and strong and ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. And you got a, a hell of a teammate too in Lord Storm Stacy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, he's, a wild, he's a wild kid and he won't mind me saying that. But no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's I've, I've known Storm for for quite a few years back when he was a young kid starting out. So yeah, I, I know what to expect. And I think we're gonna we got on we he come to Portugal with us and yeah, I think we're gonna get on great. 
Oh, I'm absolutely. Y'all's energy is kind of similar. He's he's just different. And I remember when I first met him, Derek Cadwell, I, I was like, dude, Storm, blah, 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 blah. Simcoe from the United States. What's going on? He's like, whoa, dude. He points at me and he laughs, right? And got a couple pictures. And, and then during uh, the, the grid walk, uh, I walk up to him. The announcer had just got done saying, yeah, and Storm Stacy. And here I come right around the corner. I was like, Storm, bro, what is up? And he laughs and he points at me, gives me a big old fist pound, man. It was absolutely, yeah, his energy is just unbelievable. And his girlfriend was just crying, laughing at me the whole time, every time she see me. And I'm like, let's go. And, yeah, I, yeah, it's absolutely. Listen. <laughs> what, what have you had for your breakfast this morning? Mate, listen, this is how I always am, Tom. <laughs> Dude, when it comes I want, to I want some of what you've had. Hey, it's it's nothing but just straight love for the sport and energy is what it is. I uh, I've always been like this with, with motorcycles. Um, and and I'm fortunate enough that uh, I, I got into podcasting, and and I'm fortunate enough that I get to sit down and do it with people like you, right? And yeah. and Braden Elliott and all these other Cameron Frazier. I mean, the the list goes on. I've been such a fan of the sport and you guys for such a long time. And I consider you and everybody else that races, you guys are absolute legends, proper legends. You know, Maybe I mean, cool. no, no, I mean for real. I, you're you're an absolute legend. You, your brother. I mean, all the way down to to the last guy on the grid, absolute legend, for for Thank sure. You. I mean, it's it's uh. Yeah, absolutely. But listen, we've been at this for over an hour. I know you got things to do, but I got a couple quick personal questions I, I want to ask you and would love to have you back on the podcast some other time for sure. Yeah. No, All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And so uh, when I end the podcast, just stay on with me for like two or three minutes. We'll, we'll discuss a couple of things and then I got to go back to work and you go out there and, and finish your day. But uh, so, uh, What's your favorite movie, Tom? Oh, God. Um, to be honest with you, I'm more of a series kind of guy if I'm watching like TV at night or whatever. But and one movie that always stands out to me, which again, it, it, it yeah, it's like it's always left, left the last impression was on any Sunday. Oh. When I first started racing motorbikes, again, Pete Bose, who, who got introduced us to all this, he was like, we've got to sit down and watch on any Sunday. And we must have watched it like 10 or 15 times. And I've got the flat track in and motocross in, everything in it. And it's just, what a cool film. Like, there's no, nothing's ever been made like it, remotely like it. They've tried, but it's just not a patch on, on, on any Sunday, so absolutely not you're right so uh it's on any sunday is one of my favorite all-time movies too as well uh as, as far as like series you said are you what series are you watching now what do you recommend to people that are listening or that's gonna listen i'm not watching anything right now um particularly to be fair just bitting and bobbing with random bits um oh god you caught me on the spot here i thought narcos was pretty cool yeah <laughs> I thought that was done really, really well. So, um, I'm I'm into everything and anything really, all sorts. Yeah, just... me too. So I just got done watching Ted Lasso. Oh my god, what a series! Ted Lasso on Apple TV is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, Ted Lasso. I've not seen that. Oh man, that's good. And the new uh, Masters of the Air on Apple TV is really good too. Um, Yes. Yeah. So, uh, books, I'm a big audio book listening. So I've, I mean, as far as John McGinnis, Michael Dunlop, all the road racing, uh, and other books too, as well. 
Uh, what do you are you a book reader or listener? Not particularly. I need to I need to read more. Um, I listen to not a lot of audio books, but a lot of podcasts, a lot of the racing podcasts and that sort of thing, really. Um, when I'm out cycling or, or anything like that or a long journey. But yeah, just anything and everything, really. What's your go-to motorcycle podcast? So this morning, I was actually, when I was cycling, I finished off uh, chasing a racing one. So, um, but I With Fiona Baker? Uh, no, it was actually with Tommy Bridewell. Okay, yep. So it, was for, it was from a few weeks back. And then yeah. I like the Gypsy Tales podcast. Yeah, me too, man. Absolutely. They are, they are class. I was listening to yeah. a good one with uh, Villa Poto last week. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. All, all the popular ones, really. Yeah. yeah. I do too. I'm the same way. I listen to off track, of course, off track and pin, the, and pin the gas, of course, pin the gas. There it is, baby. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I say same thing, chasing the racing, uh, real, real quick story on that. I, uh, man, I really wanted to meet Dom. Dom wasn't there, right. That, that, that a weekend at Cadwell. So there's this guy, uh, come by, his name is Sean. And, uh, I was like, where'd you get that Chrissy Rouse hat? Because I wanted to buy a, a Chrissy Rouse hat. Right. He's like, man, I ordered this online. And I was like, okay, I appreciate it. Right. I'll just check online. So I turn around to walk away. Next thing I know he taps on my shoulders and I turn around and he gives me his hat. I had one pin really? of gas podcast hat that I brought out there. So I give him my, my pin to gas hat. And I was just absolutely blown away. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. The whole trip. It was just, yeah. man, uh, you guys cool in it absolutely it's a bit, bit more meaningful isn't it yeah it's yeah man absolutely it is tom the best time all right so uh star wars or star trek i'm not gonna lie neither okay, <laughs> i've never okay. watched neither it's the whole sci-fi thing it's not it's, it's not for me i'm not gonna <laughs> lie okay that, that, fair <laughs> enough man fair enough uh, I, yeah go no go, go ahead <laughs> No, you're all right. I was going to all say, right. I can't even remember the two that you said, but if I had to pick one of them, do you say Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just pick Star Wars, but... Yeah, that I'm a I'm a Star Wars nerd. Growing up, you know, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, lightsabers, all that cool stuff. Um, Food. What's your favorite food? I like hot and spicy food, but I love food like Greek, Italian, Indian, all that stuff. But do you have a... And your guys' fish is chips, which I'm disappointed because America, man, we got a lot of places that have fish and chips, but it's utter shit compared to yeah. your guys' fish and chips, right? I could, could, I'm pretty strict, really, with what I eat. I don't eat too much crap, but if it comes to like a weekend and I want to go and like have a takeaway or go out and get something nice, like I absolutely love a like a Thai or a Chinese, yeah, like pretty much rice, spicy food base. Not too spicy, but yeah, that's sort of my go-to really. Yeah, I actually, man, I changed my whole diet up. Uh, you wouldn't know, but I, I, I was like 260 pounds and a size 40 waist. I'm like really? 200. Yeah, I'm like 202 and a 34 waist. And all from wow. changing my that's diet, scary. like that's all I did. I changed my diet. No processed foods. When I go to the grocery store, it's all on the perimeter right so yeah. a lot of vegetables a lot of rice i still eat you know meats and, and fish but I, I watch my intake i don't eat past like seven o'clock at night during the week uh yeah. i fast a lot um and that, I, I like yeah that's that's and, some commitment that isn't it some achievement yeah absolutely I feel totally different don't you 
Oh, apps. Yeah. I feel like a whole new person. Like I had to buy a whole new clothes. I had to throw all my clothes away, which is great. Absolutely great. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my energy level, uh, yeah, absolutely. I th- you thought I was high strong then. Yeah, I'm definitely a lot more high strong now than I was <laughs> when I was fat, Tom. Let's just be honest, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, what advice would you give yourself, younger, your your younger self? My youngest. Oh God. Um, it took me a quite a while to, um, without saying like the cliche things i would probably go with like it took me quite a while to become more professional and try and do things correct and properly and but i guess that was more down to like the leadership and direction that we had in the early days but i think i I think i could have fast-tracked quite a lot in my because we started quite late i think we could have fast-tracked certain elements what we did if i if i'd known it a bit more a bit more professional but yeah and I, I, like there was i don't even know it, it didn't even feel like an effort to keep to keep going when things weren't really clicking or coming together back in the day like we, i didn't know where i could get to in racing and i still don't know where but yeah i never i never kept not i never stopped keeping believing so I, I, I don't even really need to say that to myself to my younger self because i did keep believing and keep going so yeah, I don't know. Like wisdom and maturity are like an experience in this game, are everything. But you can't teach that. You have to go through that the hard way, don't you? And I did. Like I could have done without half the injuries I've had. That is for sure. Like I've, I've had more than my fair share. Which going looking at the, I mean, everyone in racing's had had injuries and accidents and stuff. But I, I feel like I've probably had quite a few more than some of my rivals competitors so yeah it'd be nice to say look just calm down a little bit like it'll come like you don't need to hurt yourself or hit your head or whatever like just keep it clean that's what i'd say yeah yeah it, it's hard when, when you're in the moment and all the excitement and you're like yeah it, it, it's i hard think again it just comes back to because we started quite late there's such a burning desire to have to achieve it now like we're racing against people who are like 14, 15, who have been at it since we were five, six years old, who are equally as fast, but they've got like eight, 10 years experience on me and I'm older than them. So it's like, ah, you just got to go, go, go. And it, I don't know, it was a wrong mentality. I just want, I was desperate. I was so desperate and it did catch me out quite a lot. So there was, there's definitely been missed opportunities along the way, but then I don't think, we, I don't feel like we've done too bad. No, absolutely not. A- absolutely. Uh, celebrity crush. Oh, God. Um, you can try to get me into trouble there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got one. Um, I'll probably Margot Robbie. Right. She's not too bad. She's not too bad, is she? No, it, it, dude, it's, it's funny because most people I talk to say the same thing, Margot Robbie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, too, absolutely. Too cliche, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Really yeah, it, guess that. You probably could have reeled a few names out and got got it. Yeah, but, but it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. So uh last question before I end the podcast. Uh I'm real big into TT. I I, I know you are too. So um in your opinion, this list is kind of long, but I'm only gonna give you two names off this list, right? In your opinion, who had the greatest TT comeback ever? 
Okay. Robert Dunlop are the Birch Hill boys. Um, Robert Dunlop. I'd say I don't know too much about like my previous okay. history of the TT. And then when you say comeback, have the Birchalls not always been racing? No, well, they they had that massive crash and w went through some things to come back, right? Like, uh, you know, you, you got the story of Mike the Bike Hellwood that was off for whatever fourteen years or eleven yeah, years, and yeah. then come back and wins, right? And you got Ian Hutchinson yeah. that had that major crash and all that. Connor Cummins, you know, over the mountain yeah. and broke all those bones and come back. So I'm just, in in your opinion, who I've had the greatest sport, comeback? I've spoiled your question a little bit there because I don't like I said I don't know too much about. I know obviously what happened to Robert Dunlop, but I don't know too much of like the. TT history there. Okay. So I'm, and, I know, and I do know the Birchalls, so I'm going to go with the Birchalls. Okay. I think that with what them lads did there this year with the with the sidecar doing 120 was mental. So big respect. Like you wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to get in a sidecar, let alone TT, just even on short circuit, you would not get me in a sidecar. So. Tom, to me, uh, the, the solo guys, they're absolute on a different level, but the sidecars, they are a level above that. And it's not even the driver. It's the monkey in the side. That's just, to me, is just the most uh, lunatic out of all of them for sure. Nice. Nice. I mean, yeah. dude, absolutely mad, but yeah, listen, I'm in this here in a minute and just, just stay on with me for, for, for a couple seconds. Um, but Tom, before we get off here, I need you to shout out, tell everybody here in America where they can follow you on social media, how they can buy a hat and a shirt, all that good stuff. Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure being on here. I've never never spoke to an American before on uh, on anything like this, so that's been cool. Spreading my broadening my horizons. Um, but yeah, no. If so, follow me on on my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all Tom Neve sixty eight. You can't go wrong with that, really. And then I have got some merchandise and stuff coming out this year. Change of colours, switch things up a little bit with the with the team change and. Yeah, it's a it's a brand new start all around. So be get yourself some merchandise when it all comes out. It'd be pretty cool. Um, and yeah, follow me and keep up to date with how the season goes. Absolutely, absolutely, everybody! Big round of applause. Follow Tom Neve twenty twenty four season uh, with the GR Motorsport Kawasaki team teammate Storm Stacy. You're going to absolutely be proper mega this season i can't wait to watch and for those of you you go to brennett's british superbikes.com and catch the whole series for free which is absolutely amazing a uh, big shout out to jake marsh and pete marsh at rd racing that they support pin uh, you know pin to gas podcast it's absolutely amazing if you guys can uh go sign up for club 45 help my mate jake out too as well big shout out to martin from the clothing kings podcast i mean clothing king podcast the clothing kings <laughs> they make all my pin to gas merch so if anybody's interested in that you can go to the clothing kings.co.uk and pretty much get anything you want and uh yeah listen thank you guys so much that watches and likes and subscribe it's an absolute honor tom neve absolute honor mate i really appreciate it thank you very much nice one yeah thank you mate all right